Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. Man, we've got a really fun conversation today with somebody you may never heard of before, but you'll never forget. His name is Dr. Michael Youssef. And Michael was a guy that uh, grew up in Egypt. He lived in Lebanon and Australia before coming to the U.S. and fulfilling a childhood dream of becoming an American citizen. He holds degrees from Moore College in Sydney, Australia, and Fuller Theological Seminary out here in California, with a Ph.D. in Anthropology from Emory University in Atlanta. He founded the Church of the Apostles in 1987 with fewer than 40 adults with the mission to equip the saints and seek the lost. And the church has grown into a congregation of over 3,000. This uh, church on a hill was the launching pad for leading the way, their international ministry. Uh, While heard by millions at home uh, and abroad, behind every message preached over the airwaves is a pastor's heart. He has an incredible radio audience. He's written over 50 books. And he's an incredible insight into the names of God, which we're going to dive into today. You're going to love this conversation. Well, today and throughout the month of October, November, and December 2021, our podcast is sponsored by Compassion International. Compassion goes to sponsor kids around the world, in third world countries particularly, giving them basic medical care and uh, education and basic needs that are being met. I mean, they do so much for kids and they do it all in the name of Jesus. If you've not sponsored a child through Compassion, today's the day. Go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and you can sign up right there. We are on a mission to sponsor a thousand kids. So many kids did not get sponsored last year because of COVID and our scarcity and our fear. Now's the time. Help somebody else out. You're looking for something to do with your family for Christmas that's not just about your kids getting the newest electronics. Have them sponsor a child. Correspond with that child. Watch that child grow up with them. It's life-changing. Compassion.com slash Rusty. Well, let's get to my conversation with Dr. Michael Youssef. Here we go. Well, Dr. Youssef, thank you so much for joining us on Leading Simple. For our listeners who are not aware of who you are, haven't read your books or seen uh, any of your uh, broadcasts, would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am a 73-year-old man who's on his way to heaven. <laughs> and uh, I have uh, been serving the Lord as faithful as I know how in the full-time ministry in the last 50 years. Mm. And I am just uh, delighted, honored, and privileged to call myself a servant of Jesus and uh, the truth is, I can't wait to see him face to face. And uh, so every waking moment I'm spending serving, doing, so that uh, I can have, when I have that audience of one, hmm. uh, which we're all going to have, is that uh, I would hear those um, marvelous words from his lips. Well done, good and faithful servant. I have... I was born in Egypt. I have lived, uh, uh, trained, learned, went to school in Australia, was ordained in Australia, served in a church in Australia. Then I came to California in 1977. I did a graduate uh, degree there and then came to Atlanta, Georgia in 19- end of 78, beginning of 79. 
And I headed up an international ministry called Haggai Institute for Leadership Training mm. for 10 years. And then 34 years ago, the Lord laid it on my heart, 35 now, uh, to start a small church here in Atlanta. And they say the rest is history. <laughs> Tell us about coming to Christ. Was that something that uh, happened to you naturally? Did you grow up in the church? or? Yes. Yeah, my family were really a very prominent evangelical family in uh, a third largest city of Egypt. And, uh, mm. and most people don't realize this, of course, which is even though uh, with the uh, presence of nearly 2 million Coptic Christians in the United States, mm -hmm. church, Coptic churches are everywhere now, but they don't realize that between 10 to 15 million Christians in Egypt, Mm. And that by in the year 650, uh, that's uh, 650 AD, 85% uh, of the population of Egypt were Christians wow. until the Islamic invasion came. And uh, they gave people basically three options. You convert to Islam, but if you uh refuse uh you and, and you are a christian or a jew whom they call the people of the book you can uh, pay jizya jizya is a form of penalty of taxation hmm. for the privilege of living otherwise you face a sword that's just the third option well my ancestors and the ancestors of all the current coptic community that are uh, in existence today obviously were able to pay that penalty and survive so I come from a long uh, line of believers from the first century all the way to uh, today. Uh, but the evangelical movement did not come to Egypt until late 1800s with the coming of the British um, colonization mm. to Egypt. But mostly were either Catholics or Coptic. Uh, Coptic means Egyptian. That's really what it means. Coptic means Egyptian. Coptic. Christians or uh, Egyptian Christians. And then the Protestant movement started 1886, 80, 1865. And then um, it began to grow. And uh, I'm a third generation evangelical. Mm. I know. But I've my ancestors were all Copts. I've seen many Coptic churches around. I think our listeners probably have as well. What would you expect to find if you went to a Coptic Christian service that would be different than what we're used to? It would not be very different from a Greek Orthodox or a, um, or a Catholic church uh, in the doctrine and theology outlook. Uh, the only difference, I think, between the Coptic Orthodox Church and the Russian, Greeks, and the Eastern, and all the others is that in the Coptic Church, uh, because of the influence of the Protestant movement, they value the sermon, uh, and therefore preaching from the Bible is very uh, prominent part of their worship. Mm. Okay. Well, that is uh, that is quite a legacy that you come from, and quite a journey to where you are today. Um, so tell us a little bit about you know, just your ministry and what it is that you do now. I mean, I, I'm just so overwhelmed with uh, 
uh, all the things that you're doing, um, your TV and radio broadcasts leading the way, uh, airs 13,000 times every week across six continents and 27 languages. That's incredible. Uh, so how, how did you kind of get into that world and, and start uh, sharing your message on a bigger scale than just once a week on Sunday? Sure. Uh, the good news is the Lord in his gracious wisdom did not kind of open the box and said, here, here's what you're going to do. Because I think I would have died of fright. <laughs> uh, but he takes us step by step by step. Back in 1984, 5, and 6, I'm heading this global ministry headquartered in Singapore. The U.S. headquarters in Atlanta called Haggai Institute for Leadership Training. Is a Christian organization that trained leaders from Africa and Asia, Latin America in evangelism. And I was its managing director. For, for nine years, I traveled the globe, literally. I circled the globe four or five times a year, mm. speaking in campuses and uh, cathedrals and churches, and um, as well as lecturing in the institute itself uh, uh, in Singapore. And, and so I had a a passion and a desire for world evangelism. And so when I began to sense that God is about to move in my life to do something different, because when you head up an organization like this, even though you are ministering and you're serving and you're lecturing and so on, but you get so bogged down administration, mm -hmm. that's not one of my gifts, mm. not even one of my minor gifts. <laughs> but for nine years, I was kind of being crushed under the, administrative burden of a very fast-growing organization. God gave me favor, gave me grace, and the ministry just grew, grew, grew. Lord said, no, that's not what I called you from your mother's womb to do. I called you to preach my gospel. And so I went through a, 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 a time of crisis, if you like, and said, Lord, what, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And as the Lord often does, he doesn't just come out and say, okay, you do this and this and this. I love it when people say, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. And I said, I wish I could hear him with that clarity, with that quickness. <laughs> it takes me a long time to yeah. discern the voice of the Lord and to say nothing about my willingness. My willingness to obey is one thing, but really to get to the obedience part. And so uh, and when, when finally kind of was... Lord showed me that I'm gonna, I need to plant a church in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, that did not make sense at all to go from a global ministry to do a <laughs> start a church in Atlanta, Georgia, of all places, uh, with a guy with my background and everything else. But the Lord often does not make sense hmm. to us, He makes sense to Himself. Mm -hmm. And the Lord just kept saying, Trust me, trust me. And so, in the last 35, 36 years, as things began to unfold, what began with the 28 adults and 16 children in a hotel room to become the Church of the Apostles today, and also at the same time, God was opening these doors that I have absolutely, I, I, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even, I didn't even knock on these doors. Mm. They said he would open them and he pushed me through. First on radio, then television, and then, of course, my heart with global ministry. I've always wanted to say, what? how can I not just be fat and happy in an affluent church in Atlanta, but how can I serve the, 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 those who have never heard? 
Mm. That was the burden of my heart. How can I take these resources and, and everything else that he has placed on my hand to reach the unreached? And um, the Lord laid this vision of 3.9 billion people in, in my heart, on my heart uh, 25 years, more 27 years ago. And so we started with an experiment, and that is, at the time, I read BBC had a, um, a major study in the Middle East, and they found out the young people in the Middle East want to learn English, and vast majority of them. And so we floated the idea with Transworld Radio, Radio Monte Carlo, actually. What if I sit in a studio and I will speak one sentence in English, I'll bring a prominent evangelical leader who would translate it into Arabic. Hmm. And we just started, and lo and behold, we were told on an average night, it's 11 o'clock at night, um, two and a half to three million young people are tuning in. Wow. Many of them think they're learning English. And Al-Azhar University is the most prominent Islamic, oldest Islamic university. The dean told the students, and it's a huge, they got tens of thousands of students at the university. He said, you need to listen to this program and critique the translation. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, we got these hundreds of thousands of Al-Azhar University students, Islamist, Muslim, uh, listening to the program at night. And uh, we're getting letters from the professors and from the students, and they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the gospel. Wow. Uh, So after that, Far East Broadcast Company heard about it. They said, hey, can we do that in China? And I said, look, it's thoroughly exhausting for me to do this because I had to fly to Monte Carlo, sit in a a non-air-conditioned studio for eight to nine hours a day, three days, recording 28, 29 messages, then fly back and preach. And uh, so I said, I couldn't do it. Physically, I can't do it. I'm glad I did it when I was younger. (laughs) <laughs> but they said, no, no, you don't have to worry about it because technology as such, we were able, we'll be able to take the Arabic out and put the Mandarin in, the Cantonese in. Wow. Well, they started that, and all of a sudden, young people all over China, and that was before the Olympics was coming, and uh, all of a sudden our program was seen with favor with the Chinese government because it's teaching people English, which they made mandatory before the Olympics. Mm. And uh, and so from there, of course, we said, well, what are the most spoken languages? You know, in the Farsi and Turkish, Indonesian, and and so we we chosen twenty six or twenty seven of the most spoken languages of the world to cover that three point nine billion people. Mm-hmm. That if they want to, they can either go to radio or go to the internet because it's also available online. That's amazing. Japanese um, and, and it's all the, all these languages that I I, I can't even, <laughs> I, can't even <laughs> I can't even identify. But due to the giftedness of the technology of the people in technology and other areas, here we are. That's amazing. 
Man, what an act of God that is. I, I love how you said that you haven't heard the voice of God, but you certainly have sensed opportunities He's given you. I think a lot of us can relate to that um, far more than those who can relate to, I heard an audible voice. Yep. It seems like for me, I've not heard the audible voice either. But I, I know that you've written over 50 books. So that's that's incredible. Um, yeah. what, what leads you to a particular topic? Um, you know, how, how do you find your inspiration? What makes you think, I need to write on this. Does it start with a personal situation or maybe a problem you see in somebody else and you feel like I got to drill down on this? It varies. And the wide space between the topics mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of make your head swing. I mean, uh, my PhD at Emory University was in social anthropology. And I s finally convinced these hard-headed professors. Um, many of them, of course, were atheists and and two wonderful Jewish guys have become good friends of mine, uh, heads up heads of uh, departments at Emory University, that I'm going to take that theory that I've been studying, being a uh, social movement, and apply it. 1980, right after Sadat was assassinated in Egypt, since I'm traveling there all the time preaching, I can probably be able to get opportunities to interview some of these people and find out what makes terrorists, in Islamic terrorists particularly, what's the ideology, what makes them tick. I have already studied that theoretically. So I was able to go and, and uh, my dissertation, as a matter of fact, was published by E.J. Brill in Holland, <laughs> Leiden University, prior to being approved by the university. Hmm. <laughs> because I called it revolt against modernity, where hmm. you know these people basically rejecting modernity altogether. When uh, professors like Bella and others were saying that modernity is just gonna, it's like an evolution is gonna, it's gonna get you. Everybody's gonna get into it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yeah, people don't want modernity. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I, so when 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 all the stuff that happened in the Middle East and so on, I wrote a book called The Third Jihad, and I began to explore you know, they're thinking that, hey, we had two jihads in the past, one that got us all the Christian lands in the Middle East, North Africa, the second one in the 1400s where the Turks literally knocked on the door of Vienna, but they couldn't. And uh, the last and the final uh, frontier for them is Europe. Mm. Yeah, they wanted to get all of the places that are uh, considered to be shrine for Christians. So they took the Holy Land, they took the, the the Christian lands in Israel, and that and and they took the uh, the Byzantine land where Hagia Sophia become now is a mosque actually. Uh, so they took over Constantinople. So the third place that was is left is Rome. They want to take Rome. And so if you remember when those terrorists of ISIS beheaded the Egyptians on the beaches of Libya a uh, few years ago, they, they, they said, we want the blood to flow into Italy, into Rome, and let them know that we are coming. Hmm. And the third jihad was in its way. But most of the thinking Islamists, militants, would say, you know, we want to do that without bloodshed. We're going to do it by numerically, 
We're going to grow mm-hmm. faster than they are in Europe. They're 50 million now, and they think they'll be 150 in less than 50 years. And uh, and by money. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to write a book called The Third Jihad, and I just went out and became a, a very impactful book. But then I'll write a book on 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 the crisis that, as again, as a sociologist looking at the current crisis we have as a society. Uh, Hope for this present crisis is my latest book that I wrote, looking at the culture at large and and where the and, and, and foundations are shaking right now. Mm. And what is the Christian hope, and how can we bring hope to this crisis? The sociological, spiritual. And it's a, in every way, it's a crisis. Excuse me for just a second while I interrupt this episode. Just want to remind you about our mission right now to sponsor 1,000 kids through Compassion International. Go to their website for more information. Click on Compassion.com slash Rusty to sponsor a child. We're trying to sponsor as many as we can and help out kids that have been left behind through the COVID season. So do that right now and then go back to the show, compassion.com slash Rusty. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because certainly all of us would say, yes, we're in a cultural crisis right now. Yes, Jesus is the answer, but make that practical for us. What does that look like? And you mentioned a few areas where we feel like there is a crisis going on and there needs to be hope. How do you address that in that book? Well, I have seven areas of hope that I say that we must not retreat. And they are, those seven are actually bookended with the home and the church. Mm. Those are the two places that if we do not buttress and strengthen, then there's no hope. Mm-hmm. And the others in the in between education and so on. But, you know, in the home, um, so many Christian parents, you know, would work so hard to give their kids the best education, sports, and all the other good stuff. Very few of them really do the catechizing like it used to be, training them in the Word of God, mm-hmm. and discipling their children in order that they grow up to be, you know, mighty men and women of God. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you church, the church, you know probably as much as I do, if not more. We are seeing this so-called deconstruction uh, movement, and it's becoming very popular, not just mm-hmm. with pastors of mega church pa- pastors, but with people in the pews. And you know, we have mega church pastors who said, "Hey, if you don't like Noah, just take it out. If you don't like Jonah, take it out. You know, let's just get unhitched from the Old Testament altogether." And so that is a crisis that I think far worse than anything that we see in society. Mm. Because as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. And as goes the pew, so goes society. Mm. I want to drill down on this other book that you've written, and it's just come out and been re-released, the 20th anniversary of Empowered by Praise. What a phenomenal book. And I love the chapters, which we'll get into in just a second. But um, you talk in this book about calling God by the proper name and why that's so important. Where did this book come from, and why is the actual name of God so important in our prayer life? Sure. Well, first of all, that book came from a crucible of uh, 
uh, you know, situation in our family where, you know, this is many th over 30 years ago. My wife was in literally 41 years old, had cancer. Hmm. And I did like just everybody else would do. And I just looked up to heaven and said, why are you doing this? I mean, how can I handle it? I got four young kids. And, um, and in the process of, you know, kind of struggling with God, again, that is, I didn't hear that audibly, but the Lord began to come and said, I want you to learn to praise me in the middle of that. Mm. And so I really didn't even know where to begin in, in, in truth. Uh, and then Lord put me on my back for uh, with pneumonia. And, uh, mm. and the Lord says, you cannot minister to people unless you minister to me. And I remember saying, well, how can I minister to you, Lord? And, uh, and so as the Lord began to teach me from the Scripture, from the pages of the Scripture, these are not revelations <laughs> coming from, from nowhere. That's the Word of God. Just I began to open the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And how that the very thought of praising God in the middle of one's crisis, and is, it sort of puts you in a place of being a recipient of His blessing. Because that is the place where God wants us to be. And when you are in the place where God wants you to be, it's inevitably going to have his favor and blessing. And so why the names of God? Because they are revealing, and obviously God doesn't do anything for no purpose. He, he doesn't waste uh, words, doesn't waste anything in the scripture. And so his names are, are related to his character. Hmm. What he is, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yarah, as we say in Hebrew, and uh, what does it mean? How did it come about? What did God reveal Himself as Yahweh Yarah? God will provide, hmm. or Yahweh Shalom, or and, and and all of these incidents in the Scripture where God chose to reveal Himself and reveal His names, and therefore He reveals His character. And so as we delight ourselves in the character of God, of who he is, and, and the joy of, um, uh, of, of, of being <laughs> related by adoption, uh, that in itself just began to lift me above my circumstances and above all the fear and anxiety that I was going through. And I thought, well, if God blessed me that way, you know, my call, as your pastor, you know, we, we cannot keep the blessing to ourselves. We want to share it with others. Mm. So that's when I wrote that book, actually, more than 20 years ago. You know, it's interesting when I uh, hear these different names of God, it's enlightening to me. Um, some of them I've heard, some of them I've not. And I think at, at first glance, a reader might think, oh, so I have to use these magic words in order to get this healing or this yeah. provision or yeah. whatever. But it's more of a us understanding who God is and what He can do. Is that right? Absolutely. And 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 why He revealed Himself that way. What mm. does He want us to know about Him? Uh, if I say something uh, about me or that would describe my nature or my likes or dislikes, you know, people say, oh, I, I really get to know him better now that I know this about him. And just imagine God wants us to know him as much as humanly possible. Of course, we cannot fully know him until we see him face to face. 
And so that is a, a privilege, an honor to know God as he is, and therefore we're able to uh, revel in his character and his because his glory is his character. That's what glory means. It's his character. Tell us more about the name of God, uh, Jehovah Shammah. Right. I mean, the the very word uh, from which we get Simon, actually, that's how Simon and, and, and other names in the scripture, hmm. Shammah is a Hebrew word. Uh, and the, what I learned in seminary, of course, was very a revelation to me because I knew Arabic. But when I learned Hebrew, is that so many uh, letters, if you reverse them or you use the same letters, um, but the same meaning, for example, the word shamesh in Hebrew means uh, sun, uh, same thing in Arabic, shams, there's an S and a sh and S. So with, with, the, with the name sama in Arabic or shama in Hebrew, is that he, he hears, and he doesn't hear just like, a, I hear a sound, I hear a voice. I mean, he listens, probably more accurately in, in English, that, that, that he is, he's, he's listening with, inten, with, 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 with an, um, intentionality, that he's, mm. he, he's, you know, so when someone says, I'm tracking with you, yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to you, I know what you're saying, I understand you, that's, what his name is, that he is he's a, he's a God who listens, who are literally um, feels the heartbeats of our hearts and not just the words of our lips. Mm. I love that. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to bring it up because currently it's a popular worship song to use the word gyra. Um, which I think a lot of us kind of miss. Would you explain to us a little bit more about the name Jehovah Jireh? Well, it's again the same word, Yara. Then I can say right now, I am Yara you, I am seeing you. That is, but is more than that. If the one who sees, if I look at the distance and I say, well, I'm seeing this, that is, I'm seeing it ahead of time. Before it happened, I happen to live on a high-rise here. I'm sitting in the 37th floor uh, in a building in Atlanta. And I could see something, uh, uh, literally, uh, a car maybe two miles away, and I'm seeing it. So I'm seeing it before it arrives here. Hmm. So I'm seeing it ahead of time. And that's what seeing is not just, oh, well, I can see that, but that he sees ahead of time. And there's always ahead of us. And it's not nothing going to surprise him. Uh, nothing is going to say, "Oops, you know, how did this happen?" Mm-hmm. He already seen that before it happened. And so, yara, the word yara, or uh, it, it translated into English, gyra. I don't know. I'm not a linguist, but I I, I do know Semitic languages. Uh, that he's the guy who sees ahead of time. Wow, probably the best way to describe it. Okay, one more, and we want to save something for our people when they get the book. But uh, Jehovah Shalom, you mentioned this a little bit before as well. Uh, If you've been to Israel, you've learned how to say Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, and peace and those kind of things. Tell us a little bit more about that name. Yeah, it's more than just absence of war. Mm. Shalom is a holistic word that health, prosperity, um, 
joy, everything that you would want to give to somebody that you really love and you want them to have that and you want them to say, yeah, I want you to have shalom. I want you to have peace. Uh, the, the, more than just peace like a, a you know, ceasefire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's more inclusive, uh, comprehensive in terms of uh, the blessing that you want to bestow on somebody. Mm-hmm. Of course, again, I've been to Israel many, many times, and they use the word shalom, shalom, it's just greetings. Mm-hmm. It's in Arabic, salam, it's the same way, but it's a whole lot more than that, and uh, that is mean I, uh, when I say shalom to you, I wanted all of God's blessings to be yours. Mm. It's to will the good for someone. That's so good. Yeah. Well, Dr. Yusuf, it's been so enlightening to hear from you. Tell our listeners where they can uh, get more from you or connect with you. Well, they can go to LTW. The, we've got LTW, the leading the way. So because three big words, we ended up uh, purchasing the, the propriety to the three letters, LTW.org. Uh, and uh, you go there and you're going to have find more stuff than you can uh, <laughs> handle. But uh, if the book Empowered by Praise or any, any books, we, we really, um, all of my books are owned by Leading the Way, not owned by me. And therefore, uh, uh, Leading the Way always says, for the gift of any amount, we're happy to send it to you. We're in the ministry business, not in the business of making money. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. A gift of any amount will be able to get you the book Empowered by Praise right now. Wonderful. Well, that again is the 20th anniversary and it's a bestseller. Many of your books are. Uh, you reach a lot of people around the world. And thank you for reaching our listeners because you have made understanding the names of God a little bit more simple as if anything about God is simple. So yeah. thank you so much for your ministry and your time. Thank you, my brother, Rusty. God bless you and bless your ministry. Well, I love that conversation. I learned so much. I learned about how to pray the names of God. I hope you did as well. Share this with a friend. I think they'll appreciate it as well. As always, rate this and review it. It would help us out tremendously in getting the word out. We surpassed a million downloads just a few weeks ago, and we are cruising on. And I'm so grateful for all of you and your support. Uh, Next week, we come back with a brand new episode, and we're going to talk more about mental health next week. Cannot wait to share with you about that. And make sure you go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child today. Thanks so much for being with us, and as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.